Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello Celtics fans, Redditors, other cool people. Welcome to a special early morning playoff edition episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast. What a couple of games. The Boston Celtics up 2-0 on the Philadelphia 76ers heading into Game 3 tomorrow. Game 1, the 117-101 to victory where we really had that number uh, and in fact they just they couldn't buy a bucket which obviously helped. And then Game 2, the 108-103 to victory again over the Philadelphia 76ers. Slightly different story. We find ourselves down by more than 20 points in the second quarter and you're thinking, damn, does this team really have it in them to lay down another freaking massive comeback in the Eastern semifinals, no less. Yes, yes, they did have it in them. With me to break it all down and look ahead through the upcoming games, it's Jackson, a.k.a. Rickman Lives, and Joe, a.k.a. No Scroats McFly. Well, my first thought is um, I was, I've been wrong. I was wrong. I thought, um, I thought Philly were going to win comfortably in the first game. It was obviously the complete opposite. And I thought Philly, I thought we are going to come out with a split. So I thought, I guess I thought we were going to win game two. Um, but obviously we didn't come out with a split. We came out with two from two. And, and I'm ha- very happy to be wrong. I was also very wrong about the role that Ojale was going to play in the series. I thought it would be almost a carbon copy of the approach from the Bucks, But um, instead it's been Horford that's been getting those uh, Sorry, um, Baines that's been getting those minutes. Bainesy. Yeah. Bainesy. He's been doing great. Um, Spacing the floor. Spacing the floor. <laughs> He's had some improbable shots going, eh? He throws up. Mm. It, I don't know what it's like in the arena, but like from the TV, like watching it, well, I shouldn't even say TV, from watching it on my phone, it looks like he's thrown up absolute moonbeams, eh? Like, Yeah, such a high arc. <laughs> yeah. He does have a pretty high launching point yeah, as a seven foot, whatever he is, uh, guy. Um, but yeah, just and he's, insane rainbows. And he's got an over the head kind of release as well too. Like he, he shoots it. <laughs> oh, this would be fun. He shoots it a little bit like Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is Larry Bird's father, obviously, so he obviously. gets it from somewhere. <laughs> Occasionally with some of the accuracy as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, Aaron Baines, I didn't think we'd start with Aaron Baines, but why not? Uh, I've just written down next to his name, threes and offensive rebounds. Um, I don't know the percentage of, of, of available offensive boards. Um that have been out there to be pulled down, but it feels like Bainesy has grabbed the majority of them. Um, and it's just been huge for us. And obviously spacing the floor and keeping and beat out of the pain as well. Jackson, um, you've obviously watched the, the past two games as well. What are your immediate thoughts, um, you know, given our, our prior predictions and, and how we're up 2-0 now? 
I honestly can't remember what my prior predictions were, at least for the first, <laughs> at least for the first two games. But I think, um, I, I think I'm, I was with Joe there. I don't know if I saw us losing the first game, but I think I saw it going one and one at home, and that was based purely off just what we saw in Philadelphia, how easily they got through the Miami series, the momentum that they had going into the uh, the playoffs, obviously. But um, no, we've looked great. We've looked amazing at home. Like that's six and zero so far. I mean. That's all we really have to do is win at home and we will get to the East final. No, sorry, we'll get to the finals because we will have home court over the Cavs if the Cavs get through, but we'll get to that later, I suppose. Quick one on Baines. Uh, it has to be said that he was the best Australian on the court. Definitely, oh, yes. yeah. That, that is, uh, that's not a hot take. That's just pure facts. Um, I've got a hot take about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should we get to it now? Or? Yeah, let's, let's get right into it. Yeah, let's go do on. it. Yeah, on. That performance from Ben Simmons and and... I know you understand the significance of the term that I'm about to use. That performance from Aaron uh, from from Ben Simmons was downright un-Australian. It was un-Australian. Yes, yes, it was un-Australian. Absolutely, it was, I was it was so bad that if he embarrassed, it, it was so bad that if he was one of those guys that was born in New Zealand but lived in Australia most of his life, so yeah. we end up claiming him. We <laughs> would have said back. he was New Zealand's yeah, best. Yeah, you can have him back. <laughs> yeah, it'd be. It'd be would have put him in the shopping cart with Russell Crowe and be shipped back here to the <laughs> So, so the, the stat line starts out all right for Ben Simmons. Seven assists, five rebounds. Okay, nice little game. And 1.5 turnovers, <laughs> 0 of 4 from the field, finishing negative 23 overall in plus minus. Um, that's insane. Like, 0 for 4 from the field. Like, he's their, you know, arguably their best, second best player. He took four shots, missed them all. Um, there were a couple of bunnies as well where like they didn't go down. You were like, geez, like yeah. this is just not happening. He was, underneath the, he was underneath the rim and didn't hit the rim or the board. I mean, it was one, I think it was in the first quarter, just completely missed the whole thing. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing about that that's the most shocking, I mean, not that he missed everything, but he only took four shots. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, granted, like they were, they were cooking in the first half, the Sixers. Like, I mean, Redick, Jesus Christ, he turned into Chris Middleton. Something I never thought I'd say yeah, ever. That guy scares but me. Yeah, no, Redick was was absolutely insane when it came to shooting the ball. I thought Covington was shooting the ball well as as, as well. Um, but um, but yeah, to only attempt four shots, to miss them all, and end up with I think it was yeah five turnovers as well. So um, yeah, no, that was a, a horrible game for Simmons. I am worried that that might give him a lot of incentive to really show up in Game Three, or well, for the rest of the series, really. But um, based on the evidence that we've seen and how we've handled them thus far, at least at home, like we're pretty much, it's turning out to be an easier assignment than it was against Giannis thus far. It, it is it's so interesting. You're right. Because we're like, I thought, I thought we were going to have to have Ojale out there to guard, to guard um, Simmons. But instead of being like, nah, we'll just have Baines and we'll, we'll let him stick. Um, and bead one on one. You know, we don't care if he gets thirty. We were we were basically terrified of Giannis, right? So, you know, we were like, okay, Ojale, you're our dude. You you've got to stick him. You know, and clearly we're just not regarding Simmons as a challenge on the same level. Like we're we're willing. Like we're, there's not one dude that we're like. You know, we're not like Ben Simmons. You are such a matchup problem that there is one dude we're out there specifically to stop you. Instead, we're we're playing Baines a lot of minutes because we regard him as more than capable of holding his own with Embiid one-on-one on the post. And he also seems to entice Embiid into playing one-on-one on the post, which is kind of, which has been really effective for us in terms of um, taking Philadelphia out of their rhythm. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's It's been, I, I really think they think Giannis is a, a little bit of a league above Simmons. I, I don't know how else to explain how they've treated him. 
Yeah, it's been said a few times already, like across Reddit and like news sites and stuff. But Giannis was like the perfect practice for guarding Ben Simmons because he's like this more all-powerful, much obviously more difficult to guard version of Ben Simmons. And and spending seven games perfecting the defense on Giannis um, has really helped us to to prepare for one Ben Simmons. Um, and you mentioned Baines's defense on Embiid, like you're right like it does stop stop their momentum completely and everyone seems to sort of stand around ball watching Embiid as he like goes to work in the paint and for the most part like you know he gets his like he gets you know I think he had 22 points or so in the last game off as many attempts but it's just not an effective and consistent method for them to to win games at this point they're a high tempo team they're a high tempo team that's where they thrive that's where they want to be and yeah and it and if he's playing in the post, it slows him down. Just, just it's effective, but it doesn't seem to be effective. <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so, game one, obviously, that went well for us. Uh, we're recording this uh, the day after game two. I want to get to game two very quickly. Um, obviously, uh, a much more uh, how can I say it suspenseful game, maybe from a Celtics fan perspective. Like we went down you know, by over twenty points, and you were starting to think, okay, this is. Maybe the way the series is going to go, we, we were lucky to get game one at home, but now, you know, this Philly team are going to come out, they're going to make their shots, and they're going to show us who they've been, you know, over the past 20 games or so. With 6.41 remaining in the first half, Covington knocked down a three-pointer, uh, and he gives the Sixers a 48-26 to 26 lead. And I'm watching this game at work, and I'm like, okay, shit, like, this is, this is basically over. Like I said earlier, like, I, I didn't think that our team... I shouldn't doubt them, really, given everything that we've seen this year. But I didn't think that they had it in them to come back again uh, with so many guys injured, with Jalen Brown basically limping all around the court. Didn't think that we'd be able to come back. However, um, Boston closed the half on a 25-8 to run, cutting the deficit to five. Uh, it was about 3.49 remaining in the half. It was still down 19 at that point, 53-34. to And... Brown got blocked by Covington, and there was a little scuffle there, which kind of fired up the crowd a little bit. Uh, and then Embiid blocked Horford a few possessions later, and you're thinking, okay, like the, the Philly defense is really up there. Like, we're not clawing back. And then all of a sudden, Marcus Smart goes and draws this very, very huge momentum-shifting charge on Ben Simmons with 3.33 remaining in the quarter. Uh, and a couple of possessions later, Jalen Brown hits a huge three, and then we get that huge Euro step by Rogier with Kyrie, like, doing his best Rogier imitation on the on the bench. Uh, and at that point, like, you know, I'm watching on my phone, but you could you could feel the garden crowd even through that little screen. Like, and the momentum and the the, the force that we got from, you know, behind the garden crowd just completely turned it around for us. So I thought that was just amazing to watch. And I've never wanted to be in the TD Garden more than, than at that moment. Yeah, man, there was a post um, from Loose Boy on the, uh, Reddit, on the Celtics Reddit page. Jalen Brown, quote, Man, I've never seen the TD Garden like it was tonight. I think I'm going to remember that game forever. It, it speaks volumes to like saying you were just watching on your phone, but like the atmosphere was resonating through that, and you could feel it. Like, man, that 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 run towards the end, obviously the end of the the half, which really was like the the pivotal sequence of the game. You know, I mean, I I hadn't quite given up. I mean, how many times have we seen Boston come back this season? But I just thought, you know, given the circumstances, given the personnel, given, you know, who we're up against, it was going to be a bridge too far. But I mean, once the once they make a few players like that and the crowd does get into it, man, it, it, it's the momentum just can be, you know, way too much for other teams to overcome, you know, regardless of who it is. So, you know, that's going to give us hope, you know, in all the home games going forward. You know, as soon as we can bring the crowd into it with just a few good players, then it's like we've got, it's like you've got a sixth man out there. 
Beware the early lead, eh? Like, always beware the early lead. In basketball, it seems like the counter punch is often just a little harder than the than the initial punch, you know? Um, so I, I wasn't actually watching the game at that point. So I sort of saw the score midway through the through this first quarter and we were down like six and I was like, oh, whatever. And then and then I checked the score back. Um, I had some work to do. I checked the score back and it was like we're down by 12. And this is like after maybe Rosier had made his three, um, his first three. And I was like, oh, sweet. You know, like <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd, missed, I'd missed the incredible valley of the shadow of death that, <laughs> yeah. uh, that Celtics fans had passed through in the middle there. It's it's so much fun. Uh, like, obviously, we've had a lot of bad luck, uh, you know, as a team this year with all the injuries and everything. But we've seen enough of these comebacks that when they start to when they start to happen, when the first sort of bubbles start to rise up to the, the surface, oh, if you will, you're, you're kind of like, oh, it's happening, it's happening again. And like, I, you know, at work, just like grabbed my phone and went off to like a quiet corner somewhere. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm going to witness this, this part of the game. Uh, and it was our defense that completely won us the game. You know, it, we really dialed up that intensity in the, the latter part of that second quarter, starting with that, that smart uh, foul that he drew on Simmons. Um, and that was it. Like in game one, like I said, the, the, the plan seemed really apparent in terms of like our ultra perimeter defense and, never doubling Embiid and just allowing him to go to work and slow down their their offense. But for game two, I thought that the, the game plan seemed a lot less apparent Like, and we seemed out of sorts at first. I don't know if we just went in with too much confidence and uh, like a little bit of laziness, but we were definitely throwing more doubles at Embiid early on, uh, at least until our second quarter run. Uh, we, up until that point, I'll cut that out, sorry. And up until that run, our perimeter defense was really sloppy. Um, but I guess in game two, once we finally started to generate stops on the defensive end, it always goes back to the defense there. That's where the momentum really picked up and, and led to us uh, getting those buckets. And obviously, we just built another freaking wall around Ben Simmons and just completely neutralized him again, really, for the second game in a row. Um, and it was crazy. We lost the first quarter 31-22, to but we won every quarter after that, including going 28-19 uh, to 19 in the third, which was amazing. Yeah, I yeah. think I think like... Um... Yes, you know, we got stops and got out in transition, and that's key to fueling a run. But the, the, the reverse is true in that the run for Philadelphia was, you know, was keyed by a lot of... Sl- like, there's that super sloppy sequence where... <laughs> there's alliteration. Super sloppy sequence. Super sloppy sequence. <laughs> um, there was a... You know, there's that real sloppy sequence where, um, like... Uh, McConnell got a steal and laid it in, and then we screwed up the inbounds pass, and then Covington got a layup off that. You know, like runs are kind of made up of those sorts of things. And, and in the case of our team, um, there's a particular turnover that often happens, and it's when the wing's passing to the top of the key, or the top of the key's passing to the wing. Often, we like it's a relatively basic pass. It's often unchallenged, you know, in, in the rhythm of a normal game. And we often just forget that we're playing a serious game. You know, so um, yeah. I, I sort of felt like their run for Philadelphia was fueled by that, and and the converse, we're able to main, make a run precisely because <laughs> we weren't making those plays. I, I sort of feel like we often yeah make soft sort of rope passes. You know, the rope passing often, often sometimes they're soft and that's, that's like often. indecisive passes with yeah. no like conviction behind them. Yeah, man, they've got to be frozen yeah. ropes to outside shoulders. You know, and, yeah. And, and, <laughs> And and sometimes we just like switch off a little bit like that, and that's where yeah. we sort of let ourselves down. That's where yeah. we tend to give up runs. 
but for me that was like the the like the um what's the word I'm looking for that was the the lowest where my my confidence was at its lowest I think when Philly got like another steal just off like I think it was a pass from Rouge I can't remember who it was but whoever's playing the point just yeah. went to pass it out to the wing like you said and I think it was yeah McConnell got a steal I think Covington got a steal and there were just those moments where like the, their defense was just ratcheted up like so much and we, we, we could barely get a shot off and they were just coming down and knocking shots down so that was like concerning there but then like it I'm just the, the script completely flipped and all of a sudden like when we did get those stops we did get those buckets all of a sudden it was Philly who were like you know these lackadaisical passes that like Marcus Smart would come in and if he wouldn't steal it, he'd at least deflect it out. And like, you could just feel that the confidence was kind of eroding away for Philadelphia there. And um, so, yeah, obviously Philly have got to win their games in Philadelphia, but I think for them coming back to the garden, regardless of whether they have a big lead or whether they're in an arm wrestle with us, psychologically, they know the Celtics have gotten them twice already. I don't know how much that will come into their psyche as they're playing, but I think given the inexperience of the team, given that this is kind of uncharted territory for them in the postseason, I think that those two wins, just in the manner in which they came, uh, is going to be massive for us. I reckon this is low-key a best-of-five series. Like That's a good call, actually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. first, the first to three wins is going to get there. Like... I, I f- honestly f- still, I actually still fully expect Philadelphia to win these two games coming up. Um, and I'm not saying the Celtics are going to win until we get to three games. But once we get to three games, yep. Like if we, if we get to three wins, we've got it, you know. Um, whether that's forcing game seven in Philadelphia or not, you know. But um, Yeah, look, yeah. If, if we can win, just it's, it's such a, a spicy opportunity. Like, if we can just win one of these games in Philly, and that's such a, a stretch given that we couldn't win one in Milwaukee at all, but if we can just go back home for Game 5, taking one of these wins, then, like, it's basically like the series is wrapped up, right? Like, it, we, we play so well in TD Garden. If we can somehow manage to just steal a win on the road in Philly... That is so huge, and we're going to the conference finals. I think one of the stats that's been thrown around in the, in the wash-up for this, I think where the Celtics are now... 32-0 and 0 when leading 2-0 and, two and 0 in a playoff series. And I think Philly is, I, I could get this wrong, but I think, I think they're 0-11. So I, I don't like those stats when there's a big zero next to it because you just think it's got to change yeah. sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. It was, the same with the box. it was the same with the box. Obviously, they bought it back and everyone was talking about, you know, the sh- that, that's, the, that's the, the shift game or whatever they want to call it. But um, yeah, no, if, if we get to three, whether it's whether it's 3-2, uh, 3-1 or 3-0, and um, yeah, I, I think that, that, that'll be a wrap basically. This is something that maybe you might have had a, a you couldn't really know about Simmons, but I felt like this game, like having one point in a game like this, having no impact in a really large game and, and being the most important, there's a mental weakness there right now. It might not be there forever, but there's a mental weakness. As we sit here in, in the year 2018, there's a mental weakness there. Like he, he's salt in that game. He's straight up salt. And and that's exploitable, and um and and home court, you know, I, we have to be favoured now, you know, um slightly at least. Um, I think, I think, yeah, Simmons has some mental weaknesses, and this stuff, you know, kind of shows up in sulking and also in shooting with the wrong hand. Honestly, like, like what, <laughs> you know. Um, I think there's just some exploitable weaknesses right now, and 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 I, I've, I've changed my mind. I think we're gonna win, but um, but yeah, it's still for me first of three wins. First of three wins wins the series. Yeah, so I've just pulled up the um like the Vegas odds, and 
the first episode where we covered parts of this series, I think we were up to like $4.30. Like definitely total underdogs um, to come away winning the series. That's come right down to $2 versus Phillies $1.83. So it's almost still down. favorites. Still favorites, oh, yeah. What? So That's, that's yeah. not smart money. <laughs> no, if it was like, I mean... If it was like the Cavs or whatever, yeah, fine. But I mean, Philadelphia with home court, no. Yeah, and so while we're there, the Cavs are paying $1.15 uh, to take out their series against the Raptors and like really no surprises yeah, there. Yeah. Right. We, talk about, we talk about bed shitting on this podcast and uh, wow, oh boy. <laughs> How glad are you not what to be a Raptors a shitting of the bed. Oh my oh, God. Man, uh, I just I, feel bad for them, eh? Reading, I, some, I, uh, reading some of those things on Reddit, like on NBA Reddit, like talking about, oh yeah, like <laughs> all the postseason, making adjustments, changing your plan, coming into the season, winning, getting first court and oh my it's God. all yeah. gone with seven LeBron fadeaways in the second <laughs> half of game two. It's so, it's so it funny to me that they, they finally got their one seed and they celebrate that and um, they come up against the Wizards, um, who I'm certainly glad that we avoided. That was a tough series. Uh, and then LeBron's Cavs, who like LeBron just owns them. It's no no secret, like everybody knows and, and says that. But um, I, I couldn't help but like pop my head into the old uh, game thread over at the old Raptors uh, subreddit. It was, and grim. <laughs> it was like Jonestown in there. Like everyone was just checking out, <laughs> checking out of their lives, everyone man. Was like <laughs> they'd already yeah. drunk the Kool Aid. It was too. Yeah, <laughs> dead bodies everywhere. It was very depressing. Uh, um, Toronto. Now, before we move on to some individual player performances from the past uh, game, we're gonna we're gonna just do game two here. Uh, that comment thread that you called out, uh, Jackson, Jalen Brown's quote about the TD Garden, uh, definitely worth a read on, on Reddit. Um, a lot of comments from people who were actually at the game um, mm-hmm. and sort of commenting on their experiences there from being at TD Garden during you know such a, a momentous occasion. Fever's Mirrors, who's a, a pretty prominent user on the subreddit, wrote, I was there tonight uh, and it was an unbelievable atmosphere. So moments, it was absolutely deafening. So thankful to have witnessed a playoffs come back like that. And then there's just threads and threads under that of other people's experiences. So definitely worth checking that out if you are like us and are so far away from Boston and TD Garden that you just you can't get there, obviously, unless you're made of money, which we're not. Um, so definitely worth a look. Now, I want to move on to some individual player performances, starting with Al Horford. My, my question to you guys is, name one current NBA big man you'd rather have going up against Joel Embiid in a playoff series. Anthony Davis, but that's about it. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, Fair yeah. Enough. I was. I would have been tempted to say Towns for a second, but no, nah, I thought about him. Yeah, nah, see, I, one, nah, not necessarily. Yeah. I, I thought about that, and those those are the two names that that came up. Maybe a healthy Porzingis in terms of nah. bringing him out of the nah. out of the paint. But even with with Towns and and Davis, I just don't think that they have the like the perfect package. <laughs> uh, stay with me here. That Al Horford has. Um, <laughs> And, and I when I say that. perfect package, I obviously I mean player attributes and nothing else. Um, <laughs> it just reminds me of the the um the Demar- Do you guys see the Demarcus Cousins thing when he was in Team USA and Draymond had just had his incident with the uh, oh yeah <laughs> Demarcus Cousins with the microphone. Draymond, this reminds you of anything? <laughs> uh, shit, yeah. So yeah, um. Yes, obviously Anthony Davis, Kyle Anthony Towns are better at certain things like shot blocking, athleticism, being not old, yeah. things like that. But Al Horford just is such a well-rounded player and he's, he's passing and like the mental attributes that he brings um, really make up for maybe some of his shortcomings there in terms of athleticism. I just, I 
at the end of the day, for how our team is and, you know, given how young everyone else on the team is, I just I couldn't think of a more perfect fit at that position for us at this time mm. than Al Horford. Do you feel like Al Horford has shortcomings athletically? I mean, he moves kind of weird, but... Well, like- it, it does look a little um, awkward out there sometimes. Oh, oh like I a agree. Mo- but unathletic. Yeah. But like you know, he's not he's not jumping and getting his head above the rim or anything like that. You know, like he's not sh- sending a shot into the stands, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so obviously not shortcomings, but compared to guys like Townsend and certainly Anthony Davis, like yeah. those are where you deduct some points, I guess. Those areas. He's yeah, not well, like so obsequious with his athleticism, right? Like he's sorry, ob- obsequious. Yeah, he's a little more subtle, a little more understated. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think um, one later. I was gonna say. Um, just revisiting who we'd rather have. I think if you're talking like pure defense, maybe Gobert as well. But like, if you think about what he offers in terms of not just the defensive end, but also the offensive end, not just like the points that he scores, the plays that he runs as well. You know, when Embiid, if, if Embiid has to come out of the paint to guard him, as we saw in the very, what I think was the second last possession that we had, which wasn't free throws, when it was like, the clock yeah. was winding down 15 seconds and they basically, Tatum had an open three, held it, which I thought was it was pretty. It was the obvious thing to do, but you just felt like, given the, the crowd and the vibe and everything, he probably could have taken it. Probably would have made it. But anyway, if we missed it, we would have been in a problem. They held it. They got it out to Horford. They ran the clock down, and he just beat him completely, like just off the line. And he got to the, the rim completely unchallenged. And this is like you know a defensive yeah. player of the year candidate. And you know I, I do kind of I, I do understand where you're coming from in terms of like the the athletic shortcomings and whatnot, and how he is a bit more obsequious with his movements and whatnot. But I mean, that was just a straight blow by and it won us the game ultimately. So, Yeah, look, I, I, re- I need to just hop in and say that by, I don't want this to be about any shortcomings at all. Like that's, that's, that's definitely not the point that I'm trying to emphasize. Sorry, um, Ben, I'm not trying to throw into the bus. I'm just trying to create you know, a little yeah. energy here. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but really, I mean, Al Horford, he's, just, uh, he's definitely the perfect uh, person for that position at this time for us. And, and he has no holes. This is always the thing right. about Horford, right? Like, he has no holes. You can switch him credibly th- onto a lot of ones, right? And you can definitely switch him two through five, and you know. And, and you know, one thing that's kind of becoming a little more obvious watching him beat is that dude gets tired, man. Like. Yeah. Like he is a big unit, absolute unit that lad. Look at the size of him. And he's just like it's just hard, you know, for him to keep that level of effort up right the way through a game. And and by the end there, I don't know whether it was the foul trouble or or Embiid was just kind of exhausted. Yeah. Um, well he's I was gonna say he's never played playoffs before, so like the whole playoff intensity is obviously going to be something new to him. And given that we're now in, you know, midway through the second series, you know, I, it's, it's, I guess I never thought about it like that, but it's, yeah. I mean, it, the fatigue for someone like Embiid, if it starts, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get better, if he continues to have like these, these moments where he doesn't, he does look fatigued and he does look slow. Then, I mean, that's like, that's just something that we can, t- another thing we can take advantage of. So you got to hope that that's the case. Hopefully just wasn't, you know, his head dropped and, you know, they just weren't putting in as much effort. But I couldn't envision that being the case, particularly when the game was as close as it was. Let's flip the question on its head. If you're Philadelphia, is there any centre that you would want to see less than Al Horford out there right now? Right? And surely you would be way more comfortable if you're Philadelphia, right? You would be way more comfortable if, if he was up against Porzingis or if he was up against Towns. Like, Embiid, uh, Horford's a really bad matchup for Embiid, you know? Yeah. 
That's kind of Horford's, I don't know, his one of his greatest qualities is that every he's serially underrated. You know, he's he's a perennial all star and no one, you know, even, you know, talks about him, you know, in, in that level. You know, he's just everything he does is like kind of quiet, it goes under the radar. If he like had two or three like, you know, big dunks or like, you know, was averaging maybe five, six more points a game, then he might have that kind of coverage. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that he is so subtle and he is kind of like in the background but also always prominent in the play it, it people who don't really watch a lot of basketball or really like you know get in depth to it they'll see al hofford and they'll say oh well that's not carl anthony towns that's not Porzingis. that's yeah. not you know whoever you want to you know name there this should be easy and the the underestimation if that's what it is anyway is is just playing right into into his hands so you know keep underestimating him it's brilliant yeah, Al Horford, 13 points, 12 boards, 5 assists, and 55% from the field, finishing a team high, plus 21. Um, and uh, really the noticeable thing uh, is when he checks out and uh, offense shuts down completely. <laughs> Not completely, <laughs> but it's a noticeable difference, and you're kind of holding your breath until he checks back in again. Um, Terry Rozier, a.k.a. Terry Lobzier, a.k.a. Scary Terry, uh, he's learned how to throw an alley-oop pass. 20 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds, plus 17, and also 0 turnovers for the game. Wow. Um, he's just been amazing at home for us this season. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. We're really going to need him to be the TD Garden version of Terry Rogier to, to steal one of these games in Philly. Um, but like even when he starts slow, uh, and he, has, uh, he started a little slow in, in Game 7, and he started a little slow in the, in the last couple of games, um, and you think maybe he's regressing a little bit, maybe going back to... The, the on-the-road version of, of Terry Rogier, he just keeps coming up like super, super clutch. Uh, and it seems like in these fourth-quarter situations, like he just can't miss. And he's always sort of there at the right time and making these game-changing, momentum-shifting plays or shots, um, which just obviously help us come out with the win. Um, I just feel like that's been such a consistent um, contribution that he's made to our team in the playoffs. Uh, and that's really exciting to see as... You know, he, he was like our third string guard at the beginning of the season, and now he's like basically our star point guard. It's amazing. It, it's ex- okay. We talked about hot takes. Uh, Jackson, do you uh, want to in, uh, maybe introduce the segment, introduce the large hadron collider? <laughs> yes, I would. Because um, <laughs> I got a little, I got a little something about Terry Rozier. Beautiful. All right. Well, Let's this, get into this, it. this this was a message that uh, for the listeners out there, this was a message that I sent to the boys. I think it was yesterday or the day before, and we were just throwing out, you know, hot takes we should have. And I looked up um, what indeed was the hottest uh, element, matter, whatever you want to call it, in the universe. It's actually found on Earth in the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland when they slam gold particles together for a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second, 7.2 trillion degrees. It don't get much hotter than that. So here's my uh, 7.2 trillion Large Hadron Collider take here. Um, again, I'm aware how ridiculous this sounds, but, you know, it's 7.2 trillion degrees we're talking about here. I don't think it's beyond the total realms of possibility that this run is just one of the all-time greats, Terry Rogier, who's been the story, really. He was the story for the for the Buck series with the whole Eric slash Drew Bledsoe thing. He's kind of making himself the story now when it comes to just a single player, you'd probably have to say. So let's just say Terry Rogier continues to dominate the Sixers. Let's just say we get through to the Cavs. We scrape past them because the Cavs go to shit and he just, you know, goes toe toe with the Bron. We then get into the finals and then somehow we pull it out and it's Banner 18 and it's scenes and it's considered the greatest underdog victory of all time. I don't think it would be too much of an ask to trade Kyrie Irving and no one else really to the San Antonio Spurs. 
Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> so it's a Rozier, Leonard, wow. Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Horford. That's not the starting five, obviously. <laughs> but just think about that lineup. I know it hurts to think about Kyrie not there, and I don't think it'll happen. But Christ, if he wins, win a championship, Jerry Rozier. <laughs> Do you need Kyrie? <laughs> this is incredibly hard. You need time. him? I am feeling the heat <laughs> from here. Seriously, that is that is an LHC take. If I've ever heard one. Yeah, sure. uh, um, yeah, yeah. I, again, Maybe. I mean, I would hate to see Kyrie go, but I mean, what if we win a championship with Terry Rozier? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if that's if that's the case, um, like we're living inside a thirty for thirty documentary, right? Oh yeah. Like th- it's this is yeah. the first half of the documentary where all of that is beginning to to come to fruition. Um, I don't know. I I feel like I can't even bring myself to really talk too much about this because it is just the hottest of hot takes um and like it kind of i don't know it defies logic a little bit but like last year we traded away isaiah thomas yeah after everything that he did for us that's what um, i keep coming back to man you just don't know what danny Ainge is gonna do and the trades might be you know super unpopular the knee jerk reaction is like what what oh my god blah 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 but i mean yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's impossible if we win the title okay <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to fight fire with fire. So I'm going to collide some atoms into your atoms and, and we're going to get, <laughs> Go on. Be careful. get a, little, Be careful. a little hot up. So I think you're right that Rosier, in terms of media attention, right, has been the breakout star. Like Stephen A. Smith had a, had some similar comments, I think, on first take, you know, and if Stephen A. Smith is, is, um, is, is sort of following along your lines, you know, you're in well into, well into hot take territory. But, um, my um my take on Rosier is look, I love what he's doing. Um I'm so happy he's on our team. Um I don't I think I think the hype's getting a little bit much right now. Yeah. Um definitely. Like I'll just run through the shooting numbers for the last, you know, last like eight games. Six of fifteen, eleven of eighteen, ten of sixteen, five of seventeen, four of ten, three of twelve, two of seven. Eight of fourteen, seven of eighteen. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of difficult games there. He's not, in my opinion, Kyrie Irving. But my hot take is kind of like the corollary of this, right? So, if yeah, if you think that Rosier is this guy, right? Can you play him with Kyrie Irving, right? Can you defend? Can you send him out there as a like? Is he a starting quality? Is is Rosier a starting player, right? If you, you you know, if you think he's this guy, you say yes, he is a starting player, right? Okay. So is Kyrie Irving a starting player? Well, yes, Kyrie Irving is a starting player. Okay, so we're going to have to have Rosier and Irving out there together. Can you have? Is that defensively feasible? I don't think it is. No, if, me neither. Because we saw what happened when look, Rosier can defend his position, no doubt, but I don't think he can defend up a position. Like I, I, I'm okay with him on say Reddick, but against Middleton, nah. <laughs> like no. Middleton roasted him all series, you know. So I don't think that's feasible. So to me, if you think that if you think that Rosier is this dude, all right, you, this is where we kind of collide and come together. I, you have to if you actually think that Rosier is this guy, you have to think that we trade Rose, um, Irving, right? Um, I don't, I don't because who else one who else can you trade right to get another piece? And two, you know, what else are you going to do with Rosier? He's either starting for us or he's not, right? You know, he's either, if he's got a long-term future with us, it's as a starter. 
and it says a starting point guard. So if you think that if you think that he is that guy, then you've got to trade Irving. Um, and if you don't think he is that guy, then to me, Rozier is ultimately going to be the guy that moves on. That said, I'm in no hurry for Terry Rozier to move on. I, I like I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, I look if it, if it's coming down to like there's been a lot of Rozier versus Smart talk, which I think is a, a solid argument, and I'm constantly toing and froing on and on where I stand with that. But if it if it's a question of Kyrie or Terry Rozier, like Terry's been great, but like you're keeping you're keeping Kyrie Irving a hundred times out of a hundred in that so. situation. <laughs> yeah. I I cannot be convinced otherwise there. Um, but you know it's all about hot takes, so there you go. Um, I I think the Rozier situation will come down to what happens with. Um, Marcus Smart, maybe that's obvious, but if we can re-sign Marcus Smart for a, like a mid-range contract, like your eleven to twelve million dollars per year sort of contract over maybe three years, then that's a good contract. And I, I can't remember where I read this or heard it, but we don't have a lot of those contracts currently. We've got a bunch of rookie contracts and we've got a bunch of max contracts, or they're close to max yeah. in Kyrie's case, um, and not really anything in between. Which um, when making trades can be a difficult spot to be in because you don't have that that sort of mid-level piece to throw in. Um, if we can get Marcus Smart on a contract like that, I think that automatically puts Rogier on the trading block. That, um, you know, writes the, the check, if you will. Uh, it it uh, fulfills the destiny. Uh, I'll cut that out. That doesn't make any sense. That uh, Cast the die, sits the die. A little that's bit. right. That casts the die. Seals the deal on, on where both of those guys are going. It looks like we'll be holding on to Smart if that situation does eventuate. Um, and then we've got this high-value piece in Terry Rogier, who whoever, whoever we trade him to, they would have his bird rights and the ability to, to match any offers that he would receive. Um, that is a very uh, potentially good pickup for, for any team that would um, you know, work with Danny Age on a trade in that situation. So really, it comes down to what we do with Marcus Smart, I think. If we can get him for a fair price... Then it's see you later, Terry Rogier. Being counterpoint, sure. Counterpoint, you know, like if we get smart on this contract, right? Then, um, like, like you said, like that would be our only contract in that kind of salary range, right? In that kind of mid-level salary range, where you add sure. them to a, a young, you know, a J, you know, one of the young guys who, if we decide to trade up for a superstar, right? We need. We need some salary. We need a young player. We need a pick. Basically, that's that's roughly the recipe, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you do, if you have Smart there and he's holding that salary slot, right? Isn't there therefore a case to be made that so if Marcus Smart gets traded, then we probably like <laughs> then we and I'm kind of going back on myself a little bit here, but um, I'd still want Rozier around personally. You know, I'd still yeah. rather have Rozier as as the backup, right? Well, but that's the else. thing. Like you say, he's a starting caliber point guard. Can we keep a a happy Terry Rogier on our team, coming off the bench for Kyrie Irving? At least in his eyes, not fulfilling his destiny as you know a NBA starting point guard. Like it comes down to a little bit: who is the better backup point guard? Is it Terry Rogier or is it Marcus Smart? And which backup point guard better complements Kyrie Irving's abilities? And I think the answer is is Marcus Smart. Um, Marcus Smart brings everything that that Kyrie Irving does not in the defensive tenacity and and things along those lines. I I agree. I you know I agree with that take. All I'm saying is the fact that Smart signs a contract for me doesn't necessarily set the die because precisely because his contract becomes then the most uh, important becomes the most tradable contract that we would have. Yeah, sure. Know? No, I understand. Which and, and so if we did trade Marcus Smart, you know that does leave us 
uh, in a situation where we would we wouldn't actually need a backup point guard who's probably not Shane Larkin, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the only point I'm trying to make is that I agree with your overall assessment about who I'd rather have between the two point guards and long term where I think it's actually going to go, but um, I don't know that the contract that Smart signs necessarily seals, you know, sets casts the die or seals the deal. That would just mm. be my my counter there. No, it's a fair point. They're all good points. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But uh, for the meantime, while Kyrie's not around, we can certainly enjoy having both Terry Rogier and, and Marcus Smart. Yeah. How enjoyable um, is this, eh? It's so much fun. We, we should get onto a few more individual performances before we move on to our predictions for Game 3 and 4. But Jason Tatum, and we'll just run through these very quickly because we are running out of time. Jason Tatum, 21 points, two boards, uh, a few dimes, a steal, and a block, 50% from the field. Uh, he finished a minus seven because of his fairly poor play in the first half, but he notched up his fourth 20-plus point game, playoff game in a row, um, which is amazing. 20 years old. There's some uh, Jason numbers there. Four mm. games at 20. <laughs> <laughs> totally. The biggest difference I've noticed, again, is, is his confidence uh, and his driving to the hoop with conviction. Like, he, he's actually getting foul calls. He's also pulling up for threes, keeping the defense guessing. And he's basically doing all of the things that we've been begging him to do throughout the year. Did, was anyone paused for breath when he had the two free throws right at the end to ice the game? Because I yes. was having yeah. horrible flashbacks to, to was Washington. Was it the Washington game? Oh, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. one. It, it wasn't the, the, the consequences weren't as dire had he missed them both because they still had to go to fall into court in like three seconds. But I mean, you just if that first one had missed, I mean, the tension would have just gone up to a, a million, but he just iced it. You know, I think he, he's it, twice now he's outperformed Ben Simmons, you know, he's so the so-called rookie of the year. Um, it, he's just, it, it almost looks like he's a player who's almost built for the playoffs, which is ridiculous saying, you know, given that it's his first season. But I mean, you know, you can't lie with the numbers that he's putting up, the performance he's put up so far, you know, it's super encouraging. Yeah. I was listening to Bill Simmons this morning, as you do if you're a Celtics fan. And, you know, the, the comparison between Jason Tatum and Paul Pierce um, comes up quite frequently. Um, and the one thing that I think it was Bill Simmons' dad that yeah. mentioned was Pierce was at Kansas for like three years before he joined the team. And, you know, Tatum had one year at Duke and he's coming out at, you know, initially 19 years old, now 20 years old. And at some point he's showing flashes of being much better than, than Pierce was in his rookie season. Uh, and in this playoff series in particular, he's playing like a like a you know a twenty eight year old. He's playing like a vet through stretches of the game, which is amazing given that it's his rookie season. So you know whatever happens, you know we could lose the next four games or whatever. But I'm just excited with what we've seen out of Tatum in the next you know however many years we've got him on his rookie contract. Like that's something that we can we can all look forward to. Yeah, he's 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 been very reliable. You know where. he is he is a much more consistent player than our younger players. You know of our younger players. He certainly seems to have the quality of consistency, eh? You know, as as opposed to, I feel like I feel like Brown. I love his aggression. I've gone on about this a lot before, but he's not consistent yet, just yet, like Tatum, right? And that's that's really valuable to be able to pencil in double digit scoring from from a spot from night to night. Yeah, definitely. Now on that, Jalen Brown, uh, the Willis Reed of our team, perhaps coming out with the strained hamstring, uh, putting up a, a very important 13 points with some very timely buckets and some timely threes as well in that, that second quarter run that we made. Uh, he was very clearly wincing on some of those plays. He went up for that, that put-back dunk 
I think it was, or just the, the fast break dunk rather, off that steal early in the game. And you could see immediately like he was sort of not really enjoying himself out there. And there was a quote uh, here from Jalen Brown regarding his injury. So basically, Westerholm, Tom Westerholm, I think his name is, said Jalen Brown uh, said he went against the advice of his doctors by playing today. He told them he was fine and he was quoted after the game regarding the injury. Uh, it's a pretty sizable risk of re-injury. Uh, he said that he's a little sore, yeah. but he, he said he doesn't intend to miss any games. He thought he and the medical staff tr- strategically did a very really nice job of setting up a, a plan there for that injury. Oof. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I think I said this on the last episode, like I would like to see him play through it if there is no significant long-term ramifications i mean what, what what's the worst case scenario on like a, a pull a pull or a, a torn hamstring is it like I, I, I really don't know for the life of me but it's not going to keep him out of the start of next season let's put it that way no. so you do want to see him kind of throw caution in the wind a bit and do that heroic performance where he goes on and plays through the pain he gets us there but if he was to play the next game and was to get injured early and we were to lose that game and then lose the next game then all of a sudden the momentum has shifted. We're without a player that is, you know, is quite key, you know, consistent or not. You know, he's someone who really needs to be out there if we want to maximize our chances of winning. And if we were to lose him for the series and the remainder of the playoffs, then given the situation, given how I felt yeah. about it, you know, a few days ago, given how I feel about it now, I almost think it would be wise to rest him for game three. 100%. Because we, we've now, we've got at least, well, we've got at least two games to go. But like given, you'd have to assume it's going to be at least three, three more games, four more games. So I think resting him is probably the best option for game three. I I agree too. I I think, like to restate what you're saying, the series we're either going to win it or it's going to we're going to lose in seven. Like I can't see Philly turning around and sweeping us from here, right? So, um, so we may need him later on in the series, you know. And if we win it, then we may need him particularly in the next round, which looks like it's likely going to be against LeBron, and he's going to be. A, important body to throw against LeBron. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Not to mention the Warriors in the finals. Yeah. You know, better rest him up for I that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? we need him there. We need him on the court when Terry Rozier wins final MVP. <laughs> we need him there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, a, a pretty heroic showing there from Jalen Brown. And, you know, it really puts you in your place. Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I like to get out there on the court. You know, run between the hoops, get a few buckets. You see a guy out there with basically a torn hamstring on an NBA court versus NBA players, like going up at dunks and out sprinting people and, and just overall being an amazing athlete. Well done, Jalen Brown. Mark D'Amico uh, from Celtics.com tweeted after the game, the Celtics are now 6-0 and at home to start this postseason. It's the first time they've done that since they won the title in 2008. So uh, logic would tell you that... <laughs> I like that. I like those <laughs> right? No, I'll stop myself there. Uh <laughs> A few other thoughts and tweets from post-game. So Boston.com tweeted out, Marcus Smart on the group heading to Philadelphia. I'm real confident. This group, the tenacity right now is a different feel. Everybody is trying to help one another out. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not really a hot take there from Marcus Smart, but uh, it's good to hear about the confidence heading into Philadelphia. We really do need to win one of those games, like we've said earlier. If we can steal one in Philly, that's it. That's a series, in my opinion. Um, Adam Himmelsbach quoted Marcus Morris, uh, so we interviewed him after the game. Marcus Morris was told the 76ers were favored in each of the last two games. And he replied, were they favored? Yeah, he was told. They couldn't have been favored for the first two games, could they? Yeah, they were. 
And he's like, oh shit, this ain't Miami. Uh, good call. Absolutely. This is not Miami. Uh, Eric Spolstra, Spolstra is a great coach. And when they couldn't form a wall as we have over Ben Simmons, I was worried that there was nothing that could be done um, from the Brad Stevens, Boston defense side of things. But, you know, we're attributed with the, the best defense overall for a reason. And we've really shown that against Ben Simmons. Uh, that's been really good to see. Ben Simmons on his offensive struggles, mentally, I was thinking too much, overthinking the plays, and I wasn't just out there flowing and playing the way I play, which is free. We didn't let him yeah. flow. We didn't let you flow, Ben. <laughs> yeah. No flow to be had, mate. We, we, we cut off his oxygen. Cut off his oxygen. It's that, those live ball, live ball turnovers and long rebounds, man. It's, uh, that's what they feast on. Yeah, absolutely. And one person I thought they probably should have left out there. It's a tough decision to make from a coaching standpoint because obviously you want to go with your guys, as they say. But TJ McConnell out there in the fourth quarter when he came out and they took the lead. Um, and in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm rocking back and forth and I'm going, McConnell game, McConnell game. Oh, shit, shit, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they took him out and then we went back up and we won the game. It's as simple as that. So uh, I don't was, know if you're Brett I'd- Brown in that situation, are you leaving him out there? I was going to say, if, I was, if, if it was Brad Stevens in charge of the Sixers and that situation, you could just see him leaving him out there, wouldn't you? I mean, I understand the importance to get your main guys involved, particularly when, you know, Ben Simmons is considered like, you know, your franchise, you know, star. You know, you don't want to leave him on the bench and, you know, not have him involved in what would have been, you know, a very huge gutsy win from the Sixers. But, I mean, it was working for them. And it was, it was we were having a lot of joy defending Simmons with McConnell, like with just this little, you know, little white guy was getting offensive boards and, you know, playing quite well. And I just think, I think if they had kept him out there a little bit longer, things might've been a little bit different at the end of the day, though, we were talking about, you know, TJ McConnell, no disrespect to the dude, but um, you know, it, that was one of those, you feel like it was one of those anomaly sort of performances as brief as it was where he was, you know, having his way with us to a degree. But um, look, I understand why he took put, put Simmons back in because you need the guys to perform if you're going to have any chance sure. to keep progressing. But um, I think if it was Brad, I think he would have. I think he would have kept McConnell out there. I feel like if Philly's going to beat us, Simmons is going to be the reason why. And so you know, he, he really is the he is the identity. You know, in the same way that in the same way that Marcus Smart really is our identity, right? You yeah. know. Simmons is the identity of the Sixers. You know, they, they are at their best when he has the rebound or he has the steal and they are off to the races. And so for that reason, I, I guess I, I kind of understand why Brett Brown is putting his, you know, his, his guy in there because that's the reason why they're going to win. You know, like, like yeah, I, I think, look, I love McConnell, man. Oh, my gosh. If we could sign McConnell, man, I, I'd I'd be all over that, but yeah, perfect Boston player, perfect Boston player, just a like just a really great player. I remember watching him in summer league like three years ago and thinking, man, I love this guy's game. But uh-huh. yeah, he's it was probably anomalous, you know, um, in the sense that in the sense that Philly made their run with him. Not that McConnell's um, played well. I don't think that's an anomaly. I think McConnell's a good player, but but like the Sixers are dangerous when Simmons when Simmons is firing. Right. Yes. Sure. But counterpoint. Brought, Here we go. I love it. Well, <laughs> it's more just an addition to the, the past two points. But when they brought Simmons back in, were you guys not slightly relieved? Like McConnell was killing us. So when Simmons checked back in, I was like, oh, okay. Like this is interesting because he had been terrible all game, um, and they decided to bring him back in for those critical moments. And we've talked about why. You know, fair enough from the coaching standpoint. But I was relieved and and put more at ease when I saw him 
come back on the court and McConnell sit down. I can't remember how I felt. I remember I, I wasn't I wasn't scared. I was yeah. I wasn't up. I wasn't like oh no. Like here comes here comes Philly. I just the performance that he had. You know, I didn't inspire any confidence for me that he was going to get things rolling. I think as good of a player as he is, he doesn't appear to be that guy who's just going to come in and just going to be like okay, I'm taking over now and things are just going to shift. I mean, maybe he will be one day. Maybe he he may demonstrate that in the next few games. But that game, he certainly wasn't. So no, when he came on, I definitely didn't inspire any fear in me. Well, he's a flawed player. Like, I keep going backwards and forwards with someone. I feel like on one hand, I keep saying he sucks, and on the other hand, I'm saying he's amazing. You know, he's a flawed player. So for that reason, he, he can't strike terror into you the same way. But to me, he's, he's just their gun, you know? He is their weapon. He's their weapon who's flawed, you know? Um, yeah, the, the weapon wasn't loaded last night. It was firing blanks. <laughs> it was firing <laughs> blanks, all right. <laughs> now, look, before we move on to our predictions for the next couple of games... We are the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast, so we would be remiss not to shout out um, some of the comments from the post-game slash next-day thread of Reddit. Uh, so this is coming after the 108-103 victory in Game 2 over the 76ers. User Henry is your boss says, this is still very much a series. We thought the Bucks were dead in the water as well. Uh, we need to play well in Philadelphia. So uh, we've kind of gone over everything that he said there, but he's absolutely right. Uh, and user King of Pants who always does an excellent breakdown post-game in his sort of good, the bad, the ugly format. This is an excerpt from his from his latest take on the game. Uh, a lot of the talk will be about Boston's defense on Ben Simmons. However, it's important to also give a shout-out to the defense we saw on Joel Embiid. Embiid went from 31 points on 21 attempts in Game 1 to 20 points on 22 attempts in Game 2, and you could see him getting frustrated. There didn't seem to be any special strategy to it, at least as far as I could tell. What Boston did was simply make him work for his buckets. Um, absolutely right. Again, something that we sort of covered earlier on in the show. Um, but get on that next day thread and have a look at the full take there from King of Pants. Like I said, he always does a really good job. So it's definitely worth checking out. Now, guys, thoughts heading into Philadelphia. Game three and four. Tomorrow, 7 a.m. Sydney time. I think that's roughly 5 or 6 p.m. Uh, Boston time. And it must be about 9 a.m. over there in New Zealand, yes, Joe. It's 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m. here, which makes it uh, like 5 o'clock, I think, Boston time. Yeah, it's an early issue. Yeah, one. right. Yep. Maybe an Irish coffee, free tip off. So, you know, we've talked about the how important it will be for us to remain uh, hopeful to win this series, for us to steal one of these games. How do you guys feel heading into game three? Do you think this is the, out of the two games, is this the one that we're more likely to steal? No, no. Oh, sorry, Jackson, you go for it. No, that's all right. I, I was going to say the exact same thing. I, I'd say, no, I I fully expect a big response from Philadelphia. I, I fully expect their crowd to, to to act in the same manner as our home crowd did and, and really get behind them. Um, I, my one hope is I've kind of, I'm, I'm anticipating a loss. I really don't want to see a blowout, though. I don't want to be like the – I think it was, was it the, the first game in Milwaukee where we got – blown out like by about 22 points whatever it was i don't want to see that if we're going to lose as much as it would suck as much as it would like kind of rip your heart out of it i want to see us going fighting tooth and nail i want to see us you know either limiting their threes or if they're going to hit threes again i want to see us you know similar sort of defense on simmons and Embiid. and i just hope if if we can get it then you know that's that's the series but if we are to drop the game i just want us to 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 not be blown out put it that way incredible showing i i feel like that tomorrow's game, game three, is the one that we are more likely to win out of the two. Oh, okay. Reason being that if, if we allow them to win a game, 
and all of a sudden the momentum has swung back in their direction. I think the message in the locker room from our coaching staff will will be along those lines that as soon as we let them, um, you know, take an inch, they will take a mile or however it said. As soon as we allow the momentum to swing back their way, they're going to take it and run with it. And we, we really can't let that happen. Uh, I, I really think that the message is going to be that out of the two games, tomorrow's game is the, is the most important win for us for, for that reason. And once we go up 3-0, like, that's basically it. I feel, I feel like, Ben, like your, your position on this series is like, you feel like it's similar to the OKC San Antonio series from back in like 2012 or whenever it was. That, <laughs> yeah. Is that, would that be fair? You feel Can you like, remind me what, what happened in that series? Well, the Spurs went up two zip at home and then lost the next four. So, like, the, yeah. the analogy is you've got a young, fast team up against a sort of veteran team. The veteran team goes up 2-0, and then all of a sudden the rug gets sort of pulled out. Um, yeah, yeah, sort of. I, I just don't think that we should allow them to, to develop any momentum. Um, they are a young, inexperienced playoff team, even when compared to our own young, inexperienced team. Um, and if we allow them to just pick up any of that momentum, I feel like they'll really use it against us. And I think we need to avoid that at all costs. So we need to play game three like it's a game seven in that sense. We cannot lose that game. Man, well, we, we are opposed all the time. I'm so sorry, Ben. Um, I feel completely <laughs> differently. Um, I, I, This is a different series to Milwaukee, right? Milwaukee, we were the, like, in my view, we were the favorites. And the pressure was on us to win. So when we go into when we go into Milwaukee and we don't get one of those two games, it's a disappointment. Okay. In this series, it's the opposite. We were not the favourites. Okay. We are just as young as them. You know. Um, we are just as much of an upstart as they are. We are up two nil. We are going into their home floor. I see us as playing with house money right now. I 100% see this. These next two games, if we lose them, I'm like, nah, I, I kind of, like, that's probably, I don't know what the most likely result is. It probably, you know, there's probably, say, a 40% chance of that happening and, uh, say, a 30% chance of a split and a 30% chance of us winning both, you know? So, like, I, I feel like it's the, it's the most likely result. So I'm, like, really not too worried. And, and I think momentum in playoff series is one of those things that, feels more real than maybe it is. Like, if momentum was a thing, right, when we went into Milwaukee up to 2-0, why didn't we come away with at least one game there, right? Like, the, the series sort of shifts in, in, in ways, like, in between games, it shifts in ways that you kind of maybe don't anticipate when you're watching the previous game. So I, I sort of feel like we, we can go and be pretty relaxed. I, I, I really hope we get one win and... and, and um, you're right. Like if Philadelphia, if Philadelphia win two games, to me the worry isn't that it gives them momentum. It just means that they're tied. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, it's not so much of a momentum thing as they're now two games closer to to winning to to getting onto the next round. Yeah. Um, I, I I think they have to beat us at home still after that. And um, yeah, and if they beat us at home and they're up three two, then yeah, sure. Like I think the series is theirs. But yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that essential. It's essential that we win one of the next three games not two of the next three games. Yeah, I, I think that the next step that we need to make as a team is get a playoff road win. I, I think, as, I think not, not obviously, that's, that's what we're, where our aim is going to be for the next two games, obviously. But I think, you know, if we were to go through in seven and lose all the games on the road and win all the games at home, you know, I would, I'd take that. If you gave it to me right now, no problem whatsoever. Uh, we will have home court for, you know, the Cavs, assuming, of course, it is the Cavs. 
Um, but I think I, I, th- I think I'll start to I, I'm I'm being trying to be realistic, not pessimistic, in saying I think we're going to drop the next two games. Again, I don't think they're going to be blowouts. I think we are going to hang with them. I think they might just have the edge over there. But I mean, again, as soon as we get the three wins in this series, I think that's done. But I think if we can just getting that road win, not just for the sake of this series, but also for the sake of the next series and fingers crossed the series after that, a la the finals. Um, until we can win on the road, I don't really believe there's a lot that we can achieve. I think we can certainly give everyone hell. I think we can, you know, go out, be, certainly be proud of our team. But if we want to have any kind of realistic chance of, you know, really achieving something great this season, whether or not it works out or not, I think we need to get a road game. We really need to get a road game. That definitely seems like the next logical progression for this team is to elevate ourselves to be able to, to take these playoff road wins. I do think the narrative around the team has changed a little bit. We've gone from these plucky underdogs, and yes, we were expected to maybe win that initial, you know, two-seven series against the Bucks. And prior to Game One in this series, it was like, okay, like we're playing with house money now. We've gone as far as we can go. We're not going to beat the 76ers. and here we are up two and zero. And sure, all we've done is hold serve in terms of winning our home games. But I do feel like the narrative has changed around our team, and and we've shown capability beyond all expectations and that people maybe now do expect us and the odds uh, in terms of the betting odds are starting to reflect this that perhaps we can win this series and we can go on to the eastern conference files and the Cavs have been a little bit flaky and maybe there's a chance to even to topple those guys and i i do think that the expectations have changed and and therefore we can go into philly and, and expect to win one of those games i really do think that we'll win one of those two games um and i look forward to to talking with you guys about it after yeah. after game four <laughs> um we'll just pause it there is there anything you guys want to add before we uh we're, we're well over an hour now so yeah. well, no i'm, I'm pretty, I'm no, pretty satisfied good. cool got a lot of edits a lot of ums and ahs and stuff we just to edit out um but i've written them all down uh cool so i'll just end it do we just get predictions for game three like score predictions yeah yeah um all right guys so before we wrap this up i want to hear your score predictions uh for game three and four go (laughs) okay (laughs) um i'm thinking i think it's going to be a somewhat comfortable philly win like a not quite blowout but like a extend the lead in the fourth uh 120 105 philly Ouch. Yeah, I, I um, at the risk of just repeating what Joe said, yeah, I, I see that going the same way. I see them building a lead, us chipping away at it, getting real close, them kind of pulling away, and not a blowout, not necessarily close, but yeah, about a, 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 a between a 10 and 7 point win. So I'll say, I'll say 99, 92, really. I'm I'm going to go the 101-97 Boston Celtics victory yes, over yes. the what uh, I Philadelphia 76ers. A, a scrappy, uh, messy display of basketball where our defensive tenacity gets us over the line as we hold them to under 100 points, just tipping our heads over 100 ourselves. I'll take that. I love it. Absolutely. I feel like you could almost slip that into the uh, hot take category. It's pretty ridiculous, <laughs> really. Uh, that's, that's, um, that's, uh, that's, that's the medium setting on the microwave. Definitely hot, yeah. but yeah, definitely get definitely you can eat it you can eat it straight away as well too. <laughs> Great. 
All right, that'll just about do it for this playoff edition episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast. Joe, Jackson, enjoy these two games in Philly. Looking forward to doing this again uh, sometime after game four. Will do. Got Celtics. Yeah. All right, thanks again, everyone out there for listening. If you're a fan of the show, I know this is hard pressing all of those buttons, but please go ahead and subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and a bunch of other platforms, and soon Spotify as well. In the meantime, go Celtics. Let's get this win in Philly tomorrow and we'll see you all after game four. Peace.